Welcome to Living in This Queer Body, a podcast about barriers to embodiment and how our collective body stories can bring us back to ourselves. I'm Asher Panjuris, and I appreciate you joining me. I wanted to let folks know about one event that will be happening on December 18th, so you have a bit of time to register. But if you are finding that you might need some extra support around the holidays. I'm offering a one-time experience, I suppose, from 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on December 18th. It's called Queering the Holidays. I've run this group before, and basically it's an opportunity to join with a lot of folks to talk about how we navigate caring for ourselves, for our partners and our friends during this pandemic holiday season, and specifically how we can incorporate nourishment and navigate our relationship with food and body image during this time. There's also a focus on self-determination and sovereignty and You can ask me questions. There will be time to have small group conversations and a portion of the proceeds will go to the LGBTQ Freedom Fund, an organization that I regularly support and they're doing really great work. Another just offering is that I would love to encourage folks. I'm doing this in part because I have a kid and it's really a great activity to do with kids or with your friends or anyone in your house or your community. Black and Pink, blackandpink.org is an organization that supports trans folks who are incarcerated and There is a holiday card-making campaign that if you're listening to this in November or or early December of 2020, you can sign up on their website to send out holiday cards, decorate them, and just kind of have some sort of intervention in what is a really isolating time anyway, and a particularly terrifying time to think about what is happening in the prison industrial complex during this pandemic. So certainly holiday cards are just a start, but they are a way to kind of reach a large group of people. So I encourage folks to connect with that project or another project that you have the resources and availability to participate in. And I wanted to, before I introduce my guests, just mention that the way to sign up for the workshop, Queering the Holidays, is in the bio of my Instagram at Living in This Queer Body, or if you just go to livingthisqueerbody.com, there will be a link and you can sign up. Invite a friend, gift it to a friend. All right, so let's get to it. I have a wonderful guest today. Sarah Faith Gottesdiener is also known as Gottes on Instagram. Maybe some of you follow. This person is 
incredible, multi-talented, multifaceted um, individual. Sarah is an artist, writer, psychic tarot reader, teacher, and business owner living in LA. That doesn't even really begin to describe all of what Sarah kind of generates and has going on. Today, we talk about a lot of different things. We talk about um, trauma and collecting back uh, traumatized parts of oneself. We talk about some of the projects that Sarah is engaged in and has chosen to engage in and why. We talk about ADHD and what it's like to live as as a queer adult with ADHD, what it's like to access protective energy and finding the best containers for psychic intuition. Queerness is ideology and so much more. Sarah has a book that is coming out in, I think, about a month. You can pre-order it. And so please give Sarah a follow and check out all that she has to offer at Instagram. You can also find out more about her work if you're not an Instagram person at modernwomenprojects.com or on the Moonbeaming podcast. Thank you, Sarah, for joining me. Honestly, a true pleasure to speak with you and I admire your work. Hi, Sarah. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really honored that you were able to, or wanted to make the time and, and to talk about queer things on this podcast. So uh, maybe we'll get started with the question I ask all of my guests, and you can kind of go wherever this question takes you. What are your earliest memories of either knowing that you were in a body or messages that you kind of received about what it meant to be in a body? That is really such a question, huh? Um, <laughs> when, when thinking about this question, because I knew you were going to ask it, I started thinking about how much like there's this, you know, phenomenon that happens when someone experiences trauma, especially like trauma to the body, um, that can kind of, um, erase certain memories or submerge certain memories, you know? So I do have, a. I think my earliest memory was when I was three or four and there was a hurricane and I was, I remember watching my mother try to secure things in the yard and things Mm. like that. Um, because you know, there was going to be a hurricane approaching. I don't have a very good memory at all, but one interesting thing that I've been experiencing probably in the past like eight or nine years is the realization that I like I I had the symptoms of 
uh, trauma, right? So uh, disassociation, hypervigilance, mm-hmm. um, you know, fuzzy memory, um, so on and so forth. And like what the sort of beauty of a th- what a thawing out process sort of is, is that I can be, I'm, I can be more present in my body. And obviously there's a ton of other stuff there. There's been mindfulness and utilizing my own intuition and a lot of other healing work that I've done. But I think it's interesting to like, think about the different levels and layers of memory and how some of us come to exist in our body in a more authentic way with time. Mm. I, I like the way you frame that it makes me think about, you know, sometimes I, I don't know if you've had this experience, but I, uh, you know, in terms of mindfulness, sometimes the prompt um, or yeah, the prompt is something like, okay, like go to your safe place, you know, go to a time when you were a child, when everything was, you know, you were free and your body, you know, you felt safe and, and, you know, I mean, that's a a overgeneralization, but actually it, it, it totally exists. And it really exists in kind of like the psychotherapy treatment world, interestingly enough, you know, and there's this assumption that there's kind of a before where everything is, you know, pure and innocent and easeful. And then the world kind of impacts us. And I think what you're, what you're sort of saying is the opposite, like that, that you experienced early childhood and childhood trauma. And that has meant that, you know, you are feeling, and I would love to hear more about what you are feeling, but you are feeling closer to a kind of integrated sense of yourself and body now in this, as you said, like in this kind of like thawing out process and having, I would imagine a lot of resources and supports that allow you to feel, to be able to feel certain things in your body. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think like, just to be clear, I'm all like, I'm all like, without going into too much detail, I mean, actually, not strangely, because I think this is the other thing I think that really, um, I had a misconception about with regards to trauma. Mm. I had this misconception that trauma that stayed in your body or that impacted your consciousness Mm -hmm. or levels of your consciousness, as it were, really were, it really happened in formative years. And I have experienced different types of trauma as an adult. Like I've been in two near death car accidents and I won't get into, I was, I, had sexual assault and rape and things like that before that. And I had a, I have a, a medical diagnosis that's like an incurable, well, it has one cure. That's a bone marrow transplant, which I would argue is like its own kind of trauma because the mm-hmm. uh, circumstances around it, just, I was misdiagnosed for seven years and 
just, you know, medical, I guess I'll just call it medical trauma. Yeah, <laughs> um, sure. Yeah. So, so I think that like when I think I had this miscon- misconception that, you know, the impact of trauma was only felt if you were say under 12 or something mm. like that. Whereas I've had like a bouquet, you know what I mean? Of, of different various sort of physical uh, that I've sort of had to recollect. Like I'd, I've had to like collect aspects of myself sort of like back from. So I think that mm. I have... I have more resources now than I ever have being an adult and being really privileged and having like the time and the money to invest in therapy and the time to invest in, you know, certain resourcing. And then I think what it is too for me is I, I think that like, because these resources weren't available to me previously, like say in my twenties or even through my early thirties, I think because I like, I literally did not know that like PTSD or trauma was like a thing. Like I didn't really Mm -hmm. even know. And also I didn't know that there were remedies for it or antidotes Mm -hmm. for it. And I think that because I just didn't think it was a thing I could even change, I like I like avoided it. Right. Like I just was like, well, I'm just gonna like, this is just who I am. I'm just gonna like go from, you know, zero to 11. If like someone drops a book or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, like I think that in the last maybe four years, three years, I've been like, Oh, I can like manage this. And actually I can heal this. Like mm-hmm. not, not today, not tomorrow, not next month, but like, maybe in like five years. Like, so I think that that alone, and then the other thing I'll say, and that's sort of an aside, but I think it kind of dovetails with my own life experience, which is really understanding that I'm intuitive and sensitive and psychic and being able to find appropriate containers for that in my work so that it didn't back up in ways that would affect my, my physical body, my mental body, my emotional body. And like, that's actually where magic has really helped me and energy work and energetic expertise, because, you know, if say like popular culture is not talking about energy, which it's not by the way. Right. And maybe even like some, like I've gone to some psychologists who never talked about like energy work or anything like that. So if it's not really like in dominant discourse, it for sure is discourse in the magical world, in the magical realm. And so learning techniques through Mm. like with, with energy work and with spell work and learning how to raise your energy and learning how to release energy and learning how to psychically cleanse yourself like that to me has been where my own sort of trauma say like psychotherapy whatever you want to call it emdr Mm -hmm. polyvagal all of that stuff like has dovetailed with my life because witches sure as fuck are talking about energy and protecting your energy and all of that stuff and releasing energy and running energy and like quite frankly i wish the rest of the world was talking about it because it's like what we all need to be 
engaged with, right? As humans, right? Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you kind of putting it into that context, like, because I think a lot of the listeners often do wonder kind of like how to begin to access, like how you said, like collecting the different parts of yourself, how to begin to do that in a way that actually feels resonant to the body. That's not just an intellectual exercise, like as a psychotherapist myself, you know, and as a patient, someone who has a therapist, I, I definitely am more inclined to kind of intellectualize and, um, you know, come to conclusions or think my way through. Right. And I think what you're saying with the, the discourses amongst the witches, right. That there is a focus on kind of prioritizing the body as something that can help to guide that has its own kind of energy and intuition that can help guide our healing sort of as opposed to kind of head down. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we all have our own, I mean, it's what I teach. So it's sort of like when you're teaching this, you have to do it. Like you can't, you know, like, I'm not like, it's not like do as I say, it's like, I'm doing this. Like I am, I am doing this work every day. I think that we all have energetic patterns. I think that we have aspects of ourself and aspects of our energy that are ours. I also Mm -hmm. think we have aspects of our energy, like our reactions, our habits, um, defenses, I could be here all day, that Mm -hmm. are learned and that kept us safe. Yep. Then I also think we have aspects of our energy or our identity or whatever you want to call it that people told our, us that we were, that we aren't. Mm-hmm. So we're working in that realm. I also think we have aspects of our energy that are distractions that we've put in place as sort of like red herrings uh, mm-hmm. for us to sort of like you know, whether for me, it's like numbing out or that's like when I'm, I'm to be really specific, that's like a distraction. It's like a coping mechanism. Sometimes the coping mechanisms are very healthy. So I don't even want to call them that, but sometimes they're a way to sort of get our energy hung up. And in this process of, in my own process and my own work of figuring out what is mine, figuring out what is mine from when I was three I mean, really, like like the little three-year-old Sarah, this mm-hmm. is her energy, figuring out what is mine from, say, the 18-year-old self, so on and so forth, and then figuring out like what isn't inside of myself, where that lies, figuring mm-hmm. out where in my body um, I tend to accumulate energy that isn't mine, mm-hmm. and and figuring out how to release that energy in an, in a in a number of different ways has been one of the projects of my personal life <laughs> mm-hmm. right I, because it's like it's never ending and and it's um it's a practice and it's a discipline and it's an investment and it's not something that you will see the results of in one day so right. it's what I try to, it's, it's what I try to teach folks. It's what I try to 
practice um, in myself. And I, I think that it's so nuanced and I think it's so complex. I think it's very personal, but that doesn't mean like we shouldn't try to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I was introduced to your work mostly through the, the many moons. Oh my gosh. What do you call it? Yeah. Workbooks. Workbook. That's the word for it. Yeah. The workbook. And, and it, it is, it seems evident to me when you hold that object that it is, a, it is about daily practice or it is about kind of ritualizing these healing practices or these self investigation practices. And I really connected with to that. And I think that the reason I connected with it probably and a lot of other people do is because it, it's coming from something that clearly was born out of necessity within your own experience um, is to kind of really develop some of these like practices of discernment and releasing and um, yeah, if you want to, if there's more to say about that, maybe how you are approaching those practices kind of right now or at this stage in your life, um, I'd be curious to hear about that. Yeah. I mean, the many moon, the many moons workbooks was a project that had like so many different intentions. One of the intentions was absolutely to guide folks or offer support for folks to notice their own energetic patterns in a, in a lunar way. Right. Which is again, like what I teach and what I've been invested in for the past decade or more. For me now, my practice is I'm at this point, and I'm sure you've probably been there too, Asher, where you've spent a number of years in a certain realm mm -hmm. and you're like, okay, now I'm ready to, I'm ready to do more. I'm ready to go deeper or I'm ready to try something different. So that's where, that's definitely like where I am. Um, I mean, I guess I'll be really personal. So I, I do identify as a witch. Yeah. And so that includes in my practice, that includes like pretty consistent spell work. And so this year, actually, I was like, well, I'm not going to cast one spell. Like, I'm not going to do that. Sure. I'm going to think about like really, truly, completely, or as much as I can becoming the spell. And so, because, because I wanted to really figure out what it felt like to be as energetically sovereign as possible, mm -hmm. um, which is like sort of annoying and rude because it's really hard. <laughs> like I'm like in month nine of it and I'm like, oh, I've only just begun. Like, yeah, uh, which, which is, which is fine, which is good. So I've really, I've really had, so for me, it's like, in my own personal practice, I've just been going a lot more. Um, I've, I've really been thinking about all of the different aspects of, like I was talking about a few moments ago, my energy, where it goes, um, which part of me is talking, where is that living in my body, how my body can be an ally, how my trauma can be an ally, how my illness, how my chronic illness can be an ally how how i'm how i'm ready and available to hold all aspects of it 
and let all of the different parts of myself inform the direction of my energy and my life. And, you know, that's in not so many words, that's kind of like the point of, of lunar living and many moons and all of that is like, we aren't rejecting any parts of ourselves. We're becoming more whole by accessing and accepting and working with the different parts of ourselves uh, as we cycle through and transform in service of our most authentic self in service of uncovering our gifts, who we are, our life's path, our life's meaning, which also will change. Like that's also yeah. like, it's all like the universe is like, wah, wah, like it's also going to change. So you can't get too, you can't coast too much. Like, so it's like understanding we're always in a state of movement, but that like the, the first steps in it are like truly accepting ourselves um, and, and our gifts uh, and truly accepting maybe like our struggles or our pain points and all of those things. I guess I'm just talking about, you know, the really corny whole, whole work of like self-love, but it's, but it's really hard. It's really hard. It doesn't, it does not look like an Instagram post. You know, I think that, yes, it is very hard. Um, And one of the things I've, you know, maybe taken notice of in particular, because I, I'm on this journey with my kiddo who um, also has ADHD and learning a lot about that. I, mm-hmm. One of the things I've noticed is, is that you, you know, you've posted a, a bit about that recently um, about your, about living with ADHD and how, how that's something that you, I, I guess I'd be interested in hearing a little bit more about how that fits into, I mean, it sounds like that probably is just one of the many parts of yourself that you are working to accept and care for and love and understand. But yeah, maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Sure. So I, gosh, how do I, I'm going to try to be succinct because I'm noticing I'm like giving really long answers. Um, I was diagnosed as an adult. I think I've heard that a lot of uh, you know, feminine folks, women are di- like are not diagnosed as children. Although I was told I also was diagnosed earlier. That's a story for another day. <laughs> um, it's too long. Uh, like misdiagnoses and like all these things has also been a theme in my life. So I really don't wow. trust. I just don't really trust like the medical world or anyone who's trying to diagnose me because I've had so many weird experiences of like you know, and then it's also interesting because of course I'm, my partner is a nurse. So like, it's, that's like another thing <laughs> where it's like, you know, it's again, this story for another day, but I'm all like, I don't trust these people. And he's like, uh, you have to, or like, you know, <laughs> it's just interesting. So right. a- anyway, um, right. I tried to get on meds. I was on a number of different meds in my twenties. Um, that did not work for me, unfortunately. And mm-hmm. I just decided to not do meds. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a very personal decision, I know. And a goddess knows if I had found a medicine that had worked for me, I, I would have. I just was like, mm-hmm. I, I'm just very sensitive to uh, like chemical or synthetic meds. And so it just wasn't 
it wasn't something I wanted to actually put my body or my mind through for like the time period it would take to sort of find one. When I got my diagnosis, it was so awesome because finally I made sense. Like all you see this list of like the symptoms and you're on, like you have almost all of them and you're like, oh my gosh, like this is like a thing, like there's a reason. So And then it's also, and I don't know if other folks listening have had this experience, but also it's like, there's so much grief because you're like, fuck, this is like going to be my fucking life. Like, and so I think it's like this idea when I just sunk into understanding that, you know, there was no cure for some people there are, that this is something I have to manage that like, it's just a, it's just a thing in this lifetime for me. Um, I was, it's easier for me to recognize when the, the ADHD is like, is, is happening, you know, and, and noticing that has been really useful for me reading a lot about it and figuring out like how best to deal with my days and also like deal with myself (laughs) has been, has been really, uh, helpful. Um, and yeah, it's something that like, I'm, I'm, I'm a very private person, but it's something that I try to bring up consistently because I also think it's important for the, I just think it's, it's important to be like, I'm a person I have this thing. So many people have this thing. We're all just like here. (laughs) Like, you know, like I think there's just, I think that we're moving out of the destigmatization of uh, mental health stuff or neurodivergent stuff, like especially the mental health stuff now Mm -hmm. in the, in the pandemic. Mm. Right. Like, like so many people are so, depressed and so many people are so traumatized with very, very, very good reason. So I think it's like, we have to be more open about what we're dealing with and who we are, um, in order to create more chances for people to show up fully and to create more chances for people to, um, understand that they like all parts of themselves are welcome. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah, I really, and I think, you know, when I bring up the fact that I've been kind of on this journey with my kid, it's partly is, you know, um, just the fact of sort of how, not that this matters exactly, and not that this is ever a kind of marker of quote unquote success, but it's, it's just, I think it's really important that you as someone who has kind of this very like high volume, high quality content, like meaning just like you create really beautiful and and important and smart things. And you do that pretty regularly and with a lot of integrity. I, I guess it's, it's helpful to also hear that you're doing it from a place that also involves having to navigate ADHD and, and that that probably informs uh, certainly some of the, the, the actual work that you make. 
Oh, I don't know who I would be. Like my ADHD, I mean, again, like it's like, I can come up with like 90 ideas in a day. Like people people are like, what? You're always coming up with these. You know, like, I'm like, I could create like 30 businesses for other people. Like all really good ideas, but I just don't have the time to do them. And like, you know, one thing, this is one thing I will say though, like speaking of ADHD is like in the beginning of creating the project, you know, like I came from a, uh, like, I always say I'm like punk adjacent. Like I'm like, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. like I came up a queer dyke and, uh, there was very much a spirit of just like do the thing, make the zine, you know, uh, definitely I was informed by the nineties. Mm-hmm. So the first couple many moons, well, every time I release something, someone's, I get hate mail. So that's like the other thing. So, but the first many moons, because I came from the zine culture and I had yeah. only made zines because it was like, get everything done in a day or whatever. Yes. I didn't hire a copy editor. Like I didn't know anything about anything. Like I didn't, I didn't have a compassionate consultant read it. Like I, I just was like, like I was just doing it Pinko style. And, And you know, there were so many mistakes. There were so many typos. It was like laid out like really sloppily because I was doing it so quickly. And I really got so much, um, some, some of it was just like criticism and that's fine. Like some of it's, and some of it was getting called out and that's great. Some of it was getting called in. That's great. I learn every time. That's not what I'm talking about. But when I say like hate mail, I mean like someone's being like, you are a horrible person. You need to stop. You are trash. Like this is trash. I can't believe I spent $20 on this. Like mm-hmm. go to, you know, like this kind of level, like every time I had to go to therapy, like I was mm-hmm. like, and that is a symptom of ADHD is like being very, uh, I think I can't remember the name of it. It's like a diagnosis. So I'm really bad with them, but being, being really sensitive to criticism, yeah. um, is, or, or like hate mail or whatever. Um, yeah. It's like a rejection sensitivity. Yeah. Think, yeah. So yeah. I, I had that and I was like, fuck, it was like, the more I read about that, I was like, oh, this is my ADHD. Like this isn't like other people get like, I listen, I don't think anyone should be going into anyone's inbox, insulting them saying that, you know, they, they're a horrible person or that they're this, I don't think like it's never warranted. Um, so I want to be really clear about that. Like, I think it's a disturbing aspect of the time we're in is like this lack of self respect to one another. It's easy to lose humanity and self-respect and self-regard or regard for the other um, through a screen. So I just want to be really clear, like, it's not okay. But there are some people who get messages like that and they can just shake it off. Like, it's like, they're like, whatever. I don't know this person who's, who's Ed from Illinois. Like, you know, and I'm like, Ed from Illinois wants me to, you know, like jump off a cliff. Like, like, so I had to really deal with that and like it, and that's my ADHD. So I also think it's like knowing, I think it's important to, you know, know your diagnosis, like know what parts of yourself are like, have to be managed or, or are this other thing that, that can be, that can be helped, you know? Yes. Um, right. Because then you can kind of turn I mean, then you can turn some compassion to that or just some energy literally to that part of yourself because you know what it is. You you can recognize it and you can see it as such. 
Yeah. I guess when we were, when we started talking about ADHD, I was like, oh, this is like talking about queerness. Like you, part of it is, I wonder for you is, you know, and this I'll speak for myself that, you know, once I, I kind of came into an understanding of the concept of queer, it was like that sort of idea of when you were diagnosed with ADHD and like checking all the boxes, right. You know, it's like, queer that makes sense like that encompasses a like many different aspects of my identity um and my life experience and the way my body is in the world so i would i you know i'd love to hear you talk a little bit about either how you relate to kind of your queer identity or queer life experience whatever you want to say now or or also in the past you know yeah i mean my queer experience has like maybe what I hear you saying is it's, it's just this, it's been this huge gift. Yeah. It's been this like gift to, to, to like my queerness. It's again, it's this other thing where, again, I don't know your age, but I came of age where like, there really were very few, like when I realized I was queer, mm-hmm. it was like, it was the nineties mm-hmm. and there were very few, there was like Katie Lang um, I think we had Ellen at that point, maybe, uh, there was Dykes to watch out for, yeah. like there, you know, there were like these certain, there was like the incredibly true adventures of two girls in love that I would watch. There was go fish. There was watermelon wo- woman. There was like five things. I mean, I know there were more, but you know what I mean? Yeah. For like a queer kid living in Hartford, Connecticut, without any sort of access to, you know, uh, lesbians or Mm -hmm. even gay guys, like, you know, I think there was one or two gay bars in my town. Um, I don't even know that there was like an LGBTQIA group in my school. Just, just queerness and queerness is so, for me, queerness is so layered because it's, absolutely a desire it's absolutely an identity it's absolutely sort of a sexuality in my experience and it's an ideology and so like my queerness like all of my work is queer like all Mm -hmm. like what I do is fucking queer like it's it's completely informed by queer theory it's completely informed by the gorgeous aspects of queerness which is like survival and thriving and joy and, and creating culture, like, like both out of necessity and also like with this gift and this magic of generative joy and inventiveness and exploration and love and like, going beyond the binary and holographic existence and Mm -hmm. you know like I mean queer queer people you know are are so magical because like we're always inventing ourselves and we're always in my experience like there's this curiosity and there's this engagement with the unknown that creates queer culture that that creates queer art um i just think i i mean i could go on and on and on but like for me like my queer identity 
Like, I just, it's like, I thank the goddess every day that I'm queer because the other thing that it did for me, and I, and again, I, I mean, I don't know how much you can share on your own end or if, if this is like useful to folks, Mm -hmm. but for me, it's like when, when I came out as queer, it didn't, it wasn't that long of a period where I had that sort of self-loathing, like it wasn't that long. It was like, oh, I had, it was because, you know, I, I had a crush on a, I started dating someone who, you know, was a, a girl. And at first I was like, oh, I was like 16 or 17. And I was like, oh, um, you know, I was bisexual, you know what I mean? And, um, and then I was like, oh, wait, uh, and then I, I, I kind of had that sort of like self-loathing or that shame. It mm. didn't around my desire. It didn't last that long though, to be honest, it lasted maybe like a couple months. It wasn't like a very long period. I know some folks have it longer and my mm-hmm. heart goes out, you know, I think it's everyone's experience is different, but what I'm getting at is like, when you realize you're queer and you are the thing that so many people hate or like so many people are afraid of and you're like, wait, but I'm alive and I'm worthy of love and I love and like I'm here. Like when you realize that there are a couple things happen, like there's a freedom there, I think. Uh it's sort of the first you sort of see outside the matrix. You're like, wait, what else do other people not want me to do? <laughs> what what else do other people not want me to be yeah what what else are people saying about how we should live or the structures of society like what you sort of pop a hole in like reality or or the reality that other people have built for you right wait a minute this isn't right like what else are, are people like not quite quite you know talking about here and so I think for me I was like oh like so everything can be an illusion or oh like Mm -hmm. I can create my own path or like I can create my own way um which was incredibly important for me to understand I understood that now I understand it through spirituality and I understand it through magic and I understand it through theory and I like but then as like a 17 year old who hadn't had like that really like queerness was the vehicle through which I came to that basically priceless realization. Yes. Yes. I love that definition that you, you kind of offered of queerness, that like elaboration of the definition of queerness for you. And I can certainly relate. I love how you said that queerness is an ideal as an ideology um, or as ideology because it, it feels like that to me as well. Um, And I think that the kind of sense of challenging our consensual reality um, or so-called consensual reality or kind of the seen world um, and the intersection between your magic and energy practices and queerness make a lot of sense that they kind of are connected in a lot of ways because it really it does feel like you're what you're talking about is sort of illuminating the unseen world like the unseen or unrecognized possibilities um and that you have a lot of skill in that regard you're able to do that um 
and part of the vehicle that kind of allowed that to happen is 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 your queer identity or identification absolutely yeah that's that's i i I really appreciate you kind of elaborating on that that's beautiful um i guess i i'd like to hear maybe maybe this isn't a, a kind of a step away from that but i'd like maybe to hear a little bit about your your current project which is a book that um when we air this will have just been released and how yeah maybe like how you conceptualize this book and how queerness kind of fits into that yeah wow that's a question especially though i hadn't thought about Mm. the last part of it the book that is uh coming out on november 24th uh, is called The Moon Book. <laughs> it's shocking. Surprise, surprise. Mm-hmm. The Moon Book. It's called The Moon Book Lunar Magic to Change Your Life, I think. Sorry, I'm like blanking, of course. I've only looked at it, the cover like 97 times. <laughs> um, so it is a, it is supposed to be a comprehensive guide. I tr- I tried really hard to put everything that I have been teaching and everything I've been thinking about and writing about around this subject into mm. one compendium. It's, it's of course then, but it's like by no means exhaustive, but it gives the reader a background and a way into working with the lunar cycles in a way that is pretty unique. Uh, it's a, it's a method I, developed over you know years and years myself and then working with clients and then there was one like many the many moons workbooks were like a a snippet of it like it was like Mm. one little snapshot of the process I'm trying to encourage folks to step into with themselves with the moon, with their energy, with their magic, all of these things. So I wrote it, I definitely wrote it for queer Sarah when she was 17 or something, you know, like I wrote it, I wrote it for, for, you know, like a queer witch who's like, what's going on with me? Like, you know, so I wanted, I wanted to, that was sort of my a target audience as it were, which is very niche, but hopefully other people will relate to it. But um, yeah, so it it gives a guide, it gives background, um, it offers up a lot of different ways to work with each lunar phase of which in my teaching, I use five and and we work with them together around a topic or around a theme. And we look at all the different parts of the, the energy, the thoughts, the actions around this one topic, we combine it with magic, you know, other energetic practices, ritual, self-inquiry, so on and so forth, in order to create transformation from the inside out. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's what, that's what it's about. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I hope that, you know, I concepted it also as a, a support system for folks who like no matter whether they're going to be utilizing the book in the way that I, you know, had concepted, I just want them to be able to, you know, maybe open up a chapter, read through it, 
and and get reminded of like who they are. That's what my work is yeah. about. My work is helping folks like remember who they really are. Yeah. And you probably talk about this in the book, but maybe if you have a story or something that might help us to understand kind of like why the moon and why lunar cycles i'm sure this is a big question so you can kind of go wherever but what what is it about about that kind of entity you know before i guess I'll, a side note is that before we got on here we were both you know sort of talking about our introversion and t- introverted tendencies right and i guess i just i think of um kind of the power of forming deep connection um, not only with other humans, but with um, other entities. And sometimes that is maybe more useful or more organic for some people um, than forming those connections for whatever reason with other humans, which is not to say I, I presume that you don't, but just I'm curious about the kind of the power of that connection for you. I think that, you know, what I'm talking about is, you know, it's funny, like we've sort of kind of already answered the question, like mm. in previous, you know, like in in our, in our previous conversations here, I think that we, like, we know there are other possibilities out there. Mm. They've already, they've, they've, we've seen other ways that we can be. What I'm talking about is, the systems that we are living within and that we are creating every day that are harmful. Mm. Um, and, and really what we're talking about is in the very same ways that like queerness is an ideology and a desire and a way of being and an identity and all of these different things. And even if you don't agree with me, there's, there's one thing in the many layers of like the queer experience that you, you probably would agree with. Right. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I'm saying similarly, like we are living in an ideology system that impacts us, impacts our spirit, impacts our lives. um, And it is not a system of care and it is not a system of it's a, it's the binary. Um, it's extractive, it's supremacist, it's white supremacist, it's hierarchical, it's either, or it's good or bad. And, and we know that that actually doesn't work. Like we know that it's not, it's not, it's not working. It's, it's, it's never worked. It's not even working for the people it's supposed to work for, you know, Mm -hmm. cause like they don't look happy. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, they don't seem like, they don't seem like they're, they're at peace. So the moon is this metaphor for cycles and for seasons and for spirals, not spirals in a, you know, anxiety spiral way, but in a spiral, like going deeper within. And, um, you know, that's, that's why the moon, we could use any other thing though. We could use the cycles of nature. You could use planets orbiting. You could, Mm -hmm. you could use, uh, bird migration patterns. You could use the dandelions coming up through the cracks in your sidewalk or with what happens on your block with the light and with sound. 
you could use other religions, like you could use really anything, but it's about stepping into a zone of greater engagement, greater depth, greater healing. Um, you know, so it's like, I'm trying to offer folks different ideologies, different frameworks, different practices, different ways of thinking, different ways of being in order for us to remember that like there are other ways and they are right in front of us. Yes. You know, like they're, they're as in front of us as the seasons we're in, they're as in front of us as we look up at the moon. I mean, they're, they're, they're everywhere. Um, Mm. We just have to learn to, I think, engage with them. And I think like it goes back to following that intangible thread or when I spoke about this idea of I had to believe I could heal or I at least had to believe I could manage my trauma. Yeah. We have, we have to believe that this is available to us and we have to believe that we can in fact engage and we, we can in fact believe in other worlds mm. and other ways of being and ourselves. Right. Yes. Yes. Oh, I love that. Thank you. Um, that's, that's very important to hear in this moment in time. Um, I would love to hear and for the audience to hear more about how folks can kind of connect with your work. Um, certainly how they can buy this amazing sounding book that I can't wait to read. Um, but also, yeah, just how to connect with you and your work. Yeah. I always point people to my newsletter. It's the place where I send out writing and tarot spreads and all of that stuff that you can sign up for on uh, modernwomenprojects.com. I can send you the link if you have show notes mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, the only other place folks can find me for now is I am starting a podcast that should be up and running by this time. It's called mm-hmm. Moonbeaming. You can just Google it. And then I also have an IG, which is at G-O-T-T-E-S-S-S. But I'm trying to spend less time there. So I probably won't write you yeah. back. And I don't do DMs. So uh, I think maybe getting on my newsletter list is the best way to go. Cool. That's you're modeling really a lot of integrity there. And I um, am right, right there with you. So (laughs) I appreciate you so much. And I look forward to this book and, and to hearing your podcast. Um, And thank you for taking the time to kind of be open with, with the, the processes that you've been, you've been in and that you've been going through. I, I think it's so compelling to and important for at least for me I'll speak for myself and hopefully for others to hear that other people that are doing amazing things or seem so cool or are um, like amazing in their own way that we're all kind of in process um and that um that can be messy and painful and involve like spirals of our own um so I, I, yeah, I appreciate you kind of being open and um, showing us that. Thank you so much, Asher. I'm so 
honored to be part of this incredible project. And it was just such a beautiful gift to get to spend time with you. Oh, thank you. All right. Well, take care.